The Apostle Paul must have been an athlete or a, a big sports fan anyway, for he frequently makes use of sporting analogies in his letter to describe the Christian life. Sporting events were uh, extremely popular in, in Paul's day, and I'm not just thinking about the, the gladiatorial combat, you know, in the, uh, in, uh, associated with the Roman Empire, but uh, it, it was very popular for people to gather to watch foot races and uh, boxing bouts and uh, wrestling matches and javelin throws, discus throws, um, long jumps, uh, chariot races, and uh, Paul certainly would, would have been aware of the Olympic Games that were being held in uh, Olympia, Greece, uh, every four years. Some 50,000 people would gather there, and that was actually uh, as much religious worship as it was sporting event. Uh, the original stadium in Olympia uh, uh, actually attached to that stadium was a huge temple dedicated to the to the god Zeus. So that was a, that was a very big deal. Um, but Paul would have loved attending the games. And uh, if Paul were alive today, I'm sure he would be looking forward to the Tokyo Olympics this year, assuming it will not be canceled. And I'd like to think that, uh, being the sports fan that he was, that he would be a huge Seattle Mariners baseball fan. So, uh, given the popularity of sports everywhere, when Paul wrote to the Philippians, a sports metaphor would have immediately registered with his uh, reading audience. Listen to how, to how he describes his own Christian life, reading from Philippians chapter 3. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death and so somehow to attain the, the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or I have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward to what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus." Paul likens his Christian life to a race. It's like he's a runner going flat out for the finish line, using every fiber in his body to win the prize, reach that goal. The goal of the race, Paul says, is to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. It is to gain Christ and be found in Him and to experience life, His life in all its fullness. It's to become like Him, even in His sufferings and even in His death, displaying a Christ-like character and fulfilling His special calling from God. And Paul doesn't say so in so many words, but the prize would be to hear the Lord say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. It is to have finally realized God's purpose for his life. So what Paul says of this race that he is running is true of all who would follow Jesus Christ. We're all runners in this race in life. We are all spiritual athletes in Christ. And if you and I are to run this race well, 
if we are to be all that He would have us be, then there are some important things that you and I have to keep in mind. For instance, when you're running a race, it's very important for uh, uh, you to keep your eyes on the goal. We're to keep our eyes on Jesus because it can be so easily, we can be so easily distracted. So many things vie for our attention and would pull us away in different directions so we lose our aim in life, we lose our goal, a sense of purpose. Paul probably didn't write the letter to the Hebrews, but these words come to mind. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So if you and I are to run this race well, we have to remove as many distractions as possible and keep our eyes on Jesus who ran his race and finished well. Uh, one commentator, David Hubbard, puts it this way. He says, the idea is clear. There are lots of distractions as we run. Bypaths beckon us. False goals attract us. Competition discourages us. Opposition causes us to falter. Jesus, however, a tried and trusted leader who blazed the trail of faith by his own obedience and perseverance and who finished the course in a burst of glory is both our guide and our goal. We look away from everything else to him if we want to run well. Speaking of distractions, the one thing that we ought not to do, that we cannot do when running this race, is to look back. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. Forgetting what is behind, looking back, may very well spell defeat. Now, if you uh, were playing Jeopardy, which Lynn and I watch every night, if you were playing Jeopardy and you were given a sports category, how would you respond if this came up? First four-minute mile winner. Uh, and a question, please. Who is... <laughs> Who is Roger Bannister, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, Bannister's story uh, is bound up with uh, an Australian by the name of John uh, Landy, who was the second man to run the, the race, the, the mile race, under four minutes. Once deemed impossible, by 1954 it appeared that the, that the mark would finally be surpassed, um, that they would break the four-minute barrier. And so both Bannister and Landy were very close to the mark. But it was Bannister, then a, a British medical student, who did it first when he ran three minutes... 59.4 seconds at a sports ground in Oxford on May 6, 1954. Uh, and in his book that, that he wrote, the first four minutes, he writes, the world seemed to stand still or did not exist. 
The only reality was the next 200 yards of track under my feet. The tape meant finality, extinction perhaps. I felt at that moment that it was my chance to do one thing supremely well. I drove on, impelled by a combination of fear and pride. So, uh, though Bannister reached the mark first, the record only stood for about a month. A month later, on June 21st, John Landy surpassed it with a time of 3 minutes 57.9 seconds at a meet in Finland. Well, uh, that set the scene for a dramatic encounter between the two runners in August of that year, that same year, 1954, at the Empire Games in Vancouver, Canada. And the race came to be known as the Miracle Mile and still today regarded as one of the most famous in the history of modern sports. Landy led for most of the race with Bannister close behind, and then at the final turn, Landy looked back over his left shoulder to check where Bannister was, and the British runner overtook the Australian on the right. Both men finished in under four minutes, but Bannister was the winner. Bannister took more pride in that victory than in his uh, first four-minute mile. Well, as it turns out, a uh, bronze statue of the moment, Landy looked back, now stands outside the Pacific uh, National Exhibition in Vancouver. And... Uh, Landy once joked that while Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt for looking back, he says, I'm probably the only one ever turned into bronze for looking back. <laughs> this is a pretty good quip. <laughs> so, if you and I want to run this race well, whatever we do, we don't take our eyes off the goal and look back. Looking back can lead to disaster. So how do we translate looking back uh, into the uh, spiritual arena? And what is the Apostle Paul talking about when he says, not looking back, I strain forward? In the context of Paul's life and in this letter to the Philippians, looking back meant not being distracted by the achievements and triumphs of the past. In other words, not resting on one's laurels. I got to thinking about that expression we use, don't rest on your laurels. You know, the, the laurel, a laurel wreath was given to the winners of the ancient games, right? That was, their, that was their trophy. That was their gold medal. You know, don't sit on your victories, right? Don't sit on your laurels. Don't rest on them. You, if, if you and I are going to win the race that is the Christian life, if we remain content with all that we did in the past and the good things that we did, glorying in our own accomplishments and polishing our trophies all the time, then that is going to get us nowhere. And in this third uh, chapter of Philippians, we didn't read it, but uh, we've, we've read it in the past, Paul lists his accomplishments and achievements. He says he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? Pharisee of Pharisees, faultless and living according to the Jewish law. His goal was to win the race of being right, of being holy, of being a success in the religious establishment. He was running a race and keeping score of everything he did. Aren't I good? Man, I'm faultless. I'm perfect. 
turns out he actually had his sights set on the wrong goal. But now his goal was to know Christ, power of his resurrection, and he had to let all that past stuff go. All that was behind him now. He wasn't looking back. Now he was focused on the goal of knowing Jesus, as I say. So, if you and I are tempted to rest on our laurels, touting our great accomplishments, boasting before the Lord with regard to our pedigree, our heritage, our traditions, our rituals, our service, our efforts at works of righteousness for which we justify ourselves, keeping the focus on ourselves and using all that as an excuse, all our good things as an excuse for relaxation, then we have to, we've set ourselves up to lose the race that is before us. We will quit trying. We have to put our trophies in storage. Paul is saying, keep on running the race before us. Look towards the future. Look to becoming all that Christ would have, have you be. Don't look back. I don't care how long you've lived. Don't look back. Look forward. Finish well. I love Paul. Paul knows that he has not arrived spiritually, right? He's not content with saying, I've done this, I've arrived, I'm good, but he wants to keep pressing on. He wants to keep growing in Christ. So when Paul says, don't look back, you know, he doesn't want to look back at what he did in the past. But I also wonder if he also has past regrets in mind as well, because in listing all of his accomplishments, he does mention persecution of the church. You know, before he was a Christian, he was a, a real uh, persecutor. I mean, he'd, he'd go around and, and harass Christians, and uh, you may remember that he stood by very passively as they stoned the church's first deacon, a deacon by the name of Stephen. He watched all that, and the uh, implication is that he approved of it. Well, claiming the Lord's forgiveness, Paul was willing to, uh, Paul was able to get beyond his guilt. But past moral failures and bad decisions and wrong turns in life can weigh us down and they can distract us from the goal. So if you and I are going to run this, this race well, we have to learn from our past mistakes and failure, failures to be sure. But if we keep rehashing them and keep beating ourselves up, we will experience defeat in life. So we don't look back. Refusing to look back, we are then, in Paul's words, to strain toward what is ahead, pressing on toward the goal. And Paul is very much thinking of someone who's going flat out for the finish line, expending every ounce of energy to win the prize. I like how one preacher, Fred Craddock, put it. He says, Paul portrays himself in the least relaxed, most demanding posture he knows as a runner in a race. His language is vivid, tense, repetitious, pressing, stretching, pushing, straining. In, these, in, in those words, the lungs burn, the temples pound, the muscles ache, the heart pumps, the perspiration rolls. So that if you and I are to be all that we can be in Christ, we, if we are to run our race well, then exertion is necessary. We cannot remain a passive Christian and hope to win in life. Now, some folks think of the Christian life as kind of like a benefits plan. 
The Christian life is reduced to the minimum entrance requirements necessary to get into heaven when we die. You know, we pray the sinner's prayer. We, we think that being a Christian is just a transaction that says, I have acknowledged by my need of forgiveness of my sin. Jesus is the one who paid my debt. His credit has been transferred to my account. Therefore, my debt has been paid in full, and I'm in. Isn't that wonderful? That's it. That's what Dallas Willard calls barcode Christianity. We've been rung up by the great scatter in the sky. <laughs> but if it's all about receiving benefits, where's the commitment to becoming a genuine follower of Jesus? I mean, where's the growth? Where's the discipleship? Where's the straining towards the goal? Where's the spiritual athleticism? Passive Christianity, passive people in the pew. God's frozen, chosen. Got my ticket punched, I'm good. It's like, you know, you, 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 you marry somebody, you got the wedding ceremony, and you think, that's it? Oh, but we know better. <laughs> There's a lot more to do. Nowhere does it say that we can be a follower of Jesus without exerting ourselves. This is part of what Paul means when he said earlier in his letter that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Following Jesus, following Christ, requires our personal energy. And it remains that if we are to run this race well, then we need to get ourselves in shape. The spiritually flabby aren't going to get very far. Some of us, I think, if we're honest with, our, with ourselves, would admit to being spiritual couch potatoes. I remember standing in the YMCA fitness room uh, in between workouts and uh, looking at the weights when someone uh, recognized me and said teasingly, Pastor, it doesn't do any good just to look at it. <laughs> Oh, I wish. <laughs> I wish just by being a member of the Y that I would be in great shape, but you've got to exert yourself. This is a growth area for me. Anyway, <laughs> John Orberg, pastor at Menlo Church, California, an eco-pastor, makes a, a helpful distinction between training and merely trying in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted. He says that most of us have been just trying to live the Christian life instead of training to live the Christian life. He says there's a huge difference between the two, trying and training. A trying mentality is simply dabbling at something, you know? You take a shot at it. It's kind of a short-term effort. You know, you, you come with a mindset, well, let's see what it's all about, as if you're collecting experiences, but not pursued in depth. Trying is a life of fitting, flitting from one thing to another, but landing nowhere. You know, you try your hand at tennis or whatever, you know. Oh, try to just, try to live like Jesus. 
There are many areas of life, says Orberg, where a trying mentality simply will not cut it. He says, no one would wake up on a Saturday morning, open the newspaper, knows that there is a marathon being held today, and then say, hey, I'm not doing anything today. I think I'll give it a try. It's obvious that months of careful planned preparation are necessary to propel yourself across a 26-mile course, regardless of the pace you set. You simply don't try to run a marathon. You know, you, you don't try to do the STP, you know, the bike ride from Seattle to Portland. You just can't try it. You've got to train yourself. You've got to train yourself for anything worthwhile, basically. You have to train yourself to play the piano or to become a doctor. You've got to train. Sometime in our life, we all have had to face the fact that, that a training mentality is necessary to get us where we want to go. Most of us, for example, training has been required for our jobs, our professions. And the same is true of a follower of Jesus. You simply can't try to live like Jesus and expect to make much progress. I mean, what a daunting thing that is when you think about it. I think I'll try to live like Jesus. Okay, <laughs> good luck, <laughs> good luck. You, kinda, you can dabble at it, you know, but you can't get very far. You remain spiritually flabby. But you can train to live more like Jesus and build up some spiritual muscles. That is, you can organize your, your life around certain practices or spiritual disciplines. You can devote yourself regularly to the study of the Bible, to mark and digest its words. You can make worship a regular habit and listen carefully to what God is saying to you in sermon and, and song, sacrament. You can participate in a Bible study or an adult class, study a book about Christian faith, and you begin to ask questions so that you intentionally begin to examine your life in the light of Christ. In short, you begin to exercise your mind. So the mind of Christ can get more in you. You begin to think like Jesus, but only after expending the effort to get to know Him through word, right? Worship. You begin to exercise your heart by putting yourself in God's presence through prayer, meditating upon God's goodness, cultivating gratitude. You can purposely remind yourself of His presence throughout your day. Call Him to mind. And say, Lord, use me in this situation, would you? And we can begin to exercise our will as well, seeking to do what Christ calls us to do, so that we can begin to practice love. Love can be practiced. You know, you can start with small things. Buying flowers for your spouse, or calling on Mrs. So-and-so in the hospital, or... Uh, as someone I know has done, give Valentine's Day chocolates to all the widows in your condo development, just because. Or you can do a random act of kindness, buy somebody's coffee behind the person behind you. Wish I would think of doing that more often. That'd be kind of fun, actually. Or you can write a simple note of encouragement to someone that you know is kind of struggling. You can practice these things. Get, kind of get in the habit of that. Kind of get out of yourself and more into the Jesus mode, blessing people. So that little by little, 
as you train yourself under Christ's mentorship, you make progress, and more and more, as you practice these disciplines, you begin to reflect the very image of Christ Himself. Trying to live like Jesus is going to get us very far, but if we put ourselves into training mode, we will grow. We'll put on some spiritual muscles, and we'll find that we will run the race of the Christian life much better. In another of his letters, Paul again uses the image of the Christian as one who's running a race. This is uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. It's not easy to be in training mode. It takes a lot of energy and repetitive action. I often find that when I start a physical workout, I feel rather miserable. In fact, the hardest part is putting my gym clothes on <laughs> and getting to the Y or wherever I'm going to be. Uh, but halfway through... Then I get that second wind, you know. Some of you know what I'm talking about. All right, you get that second wind and you tap into reserves of energy you didn't realize you had and you go much further than uh, you thought possible, than you, than you anticipated. And so too in the spiritual realm, we find that when we put forth the necessary effort, we somehow begin to tap into a new source of energy, only it's not natural energy coming from us, but it's the energy of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit who enables us to accomplish far more than we could ever think or imagine. More than we thought possible. But if the Spirit is going to energize us, then we first have to get up and get going. And sometimes that is the hardest part. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the season of Lent uh, brings a renewed focus on practicing those spiritual disciplines that Christians have always practiced that they might grow to become more like Him. Those disciplines of Bible, uh, Bible reading, worship, prayer, fasting, good works, to the end that we might indeed become more like Him. So let us be in training year-round, actually, that we may run the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Again, a, a good translation, a contemporary translation of Paul's words goes like this there at the top of your bulletin. Paul says to you and to me, I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal, those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we are on the right track, let's stay on it. Amen. <laughs>